Are you a scaling SaaS founder? Ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel Podcast, where future-proof strategy is like an 80s mixtape. Classic hits that never go out of style, yet always ready to be remixed for a new generation. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I would be to be SaaS founders like you scale from seven figures, which is good, to eight and nine figures, which is outstanding. Together, we supercharge revenue growth, create premium valuation, and craft the business you're proud of and a life of impact and freedom that you love. What does it mean to build a future-proof business? Future-proof business is one that tops the charts in the good times and struts through storms like it's got an umbrella made of Kevlar in the tough times. Never misses a beat. I'm sure you know the company Intuit, right? Oh, of course. I mean, everybody does. I drive past their office and uh, and playing out all the time and uh, big headquarters there I and mean, based in California, of course, uh, big presence in Texas. But odds are that, that you use them. They've been around a long, long, long time. Years ago, they gave us Quicken and then followed up with QuickBooks, the bread and butter of accounting software literally for decades now. But you may not know lots of others that they competed with. Some softwares were better. Some had bigger market share. Some had bigger budgets. Uh, but they aren't around anymore. Companies like Solomon, Great Plains, Peachtree, old software called Maz, which has been uh, reformatted a bunch of times, a whole host of them that are either defunct, gobbled up, or sunsetted, or some combination of all of those. But Intuit has stayed relevant. So instead of just like, kicking back and just chilling, they switch gears. They move to the cloud. They diversify and now they are still a go-to product. Are they the best? Well, no. Do they have the most features? Nope. Do they have the most integrations? Well, not really. They're pretty closed up by comparison to some of the others. Do they have a lot of shortcomings in accounting? Well, definitely. I mean, you can do anything in QuickBooks, but the problem is you can do anything in QuickBooks, good or bad. You can mess things up in a big way, but because there are no rules, then you can fix them too. So... I don't know. Are they the most well-funded? Now, maybe, and not always. But the crazy thing is they're number one in their space, a tech company from the 1980s. I mean, wrap your head around that. What does it take to compete in tech for 40 freaking years? That is a future-proof company. And it's like they've got a secret playlist that just keeps the party going over and over. And, and you know, if it's an 80s playlist, it's going to be awesome, right? So what is their formula and how can we learn from that and make it ours as well? First up, think fundamentals. Imagine your business is a vintage turntable. I mean, records have made a big comeback. I mean, there's a trend that I never expected, right? On a record player, the needle's got to be just right or else it's just noise. You know, it takes a rock solid business model and that's your record. And customer focus, that is your needle. And it takes both of those. Every week, I see business models that are completely scratched up. They're, they're unplayable. They're outdated. They're built on bad assumptions. Another unfocused me too solution. But so often, they are so, so, so close. It's like listening to a record on the wrong speed. You know, a few small shifts and magic happens. But remember, fundamentals matter. A bad business model doesn't make a great business. Second is adaptability. In a world where the playlist of market needs seems like it's always on shuffle, you got to be ready to switch tracks. Versatility is the name of the game here. The mistake is thinking that agility means serve everyone, meet every need, jump if there's something that, that you don't have, build every requested feature. Did Intuit do that? No. Does Microsoft? Does Apple? Of course not. Intuit does one thing really, really well. Small business accounting, that's it. They aren't enterprise. They aren't inventory. They aren't in manufacturing. They aren't an ERP system. I mean, they're barely POS, but they have adapted their offering to the market they serve and their ideal customers. The reason they're number one is because they serve that market really, really well and so well for so long that they have become the default choice. If you're looking at setting up a new company, what are you going to use for accounting? I don't know, QuickBooks. It's just, it's the default. 
And that's a pretty darn good place to be in. And finally, we want to look at cash reserves. Now, that is your backstage pass to risk-taking and long-term survival. It's a buffer that lets you jam freely. You know, knowing that you've got the safety net, you can fundraise, you can get a loan, you can factor receivables. There are a hundred ways to fund companies. We do it all the time. The best way, profitable growth. We talk about that a lot. Make sure that fundamental business model we talked about a couple minutes ago, that that fundamental business model produces positive and consistent cash flow. Unit economics matter. The idea of growth at all costs, um, it's dumb. No, you got to have smart business model. Growing smart matters. Being capital efficient is smart, even when money's free flowing. You know, it's certainly harder when money's free flowing to have that that restraint and really grow smart. You think about that. But I'm telling you, future proof is where it's at. I'm telling you, are you ready to create a business that's not just a one hit wonder, but a chart topping legend? Hey, others have done it. Now it's your set. It's your time to rock the stage. Let's build companies that don't just make noise, but make history for decades. If you want to build a future-proof company, a great way to start is my book, Small Fish, Big Pond, building a world-class business that swims circles around competitors. Small Fish, Big Pond delivers powerful marketing and leadership lessons guaranteed to enhance your marketing message, wrap value around your clients, and guide their buying journey to conclude that your company is the only solution for them. It includes step-by-step frameworks and time-tested growth principles to attract ideal clients, convert them, and then transform them into your brand ambassadors. Pick up the print, ebook, or audio today at smallfishbigpond.com or Amazon. All book profits go to charity. And remember, we're supporting the Israel Emergency Fund this month through UJA Federation. You can learn more about them at ujafedny.com. We've got links in the show notes as well. Our founder on Tuesday was Yaroslav Lazor, CEO and founder of Railsware. They're a product studio, and for over 16 years, he has led technical teams who built world-known SaaS products and brought incredible perspective on the show from MVP to scale. And our expert last week was Vlad Hu, SaaS consultant and fractional CTO who helps craft winning MVPs that get traction and scale into profitable organizations. So if you missed either one of those episodes, go back and give them a listen. My guest today is Alex Kaleo, Chief Revenue Officer at M4. They are a leading consumer intelligence platform, deliver expert-level market research, super high-end intel that's usually crazy expensive and limited to huge enterprises. And they make it accessible to every company, big and small. It's pretty awesome. They don't just survey, but they actually track buying behavior and do it ethically so that we understand our target audiences, can optimize our campaigns and strategies that drive business growth. Welcome someone who bridges that say-do gap, Alex Kaleo. Hey, Alex, welcome to SaaS Fuel. Jeff, thanks for having me. Hope you're having a good day. Outstanding. Well, tell me about M4 and your journey. And you've been there for, for a little while now. And what has that been like? Yeah, I've been uh, over eight years now at the company. We've been around for about 12 years. Journey's been great. Um, we've got a founder and co-founder who have been partners for over 20 years, other successful business ventures. Um, so good, really good to have their history and their partnership together. They're still the CEO and COO of our business right now. Uh, we've grown a lot. You know, the company has gone from when I got here, 20 employees to over 140 full-time employees now. Um Revenue's grown over 10 times from when I joined the firm. Definitely been a, a good and an exciting ride. Also, tons of change in consumer data. I'm thinking about yes. privacy, how consumers protect privacy, how consumers should be treated to trade that data has changed a lot since I've been here. And we've intentionally been on the right side of that. It's been a good ride. That's awesome. Well, tell me then for the listeners, what does M4 do? I mean, how are you working with consumer data and how does it work? Yeah, that's exactly right. We help companies learn about consumers. Uh, we have an app called Surveys on the Go. Uh, we compensate consumers across the U.S. to give us their survey and their behavior data. Uh, we have a couple hundred thousand consumers every single day who are using this app. 
And we then take that data and offer companies in spaces like consumer packaged goods or retail or restaurant or entertainment or technology and telecommunications, the ability to learn more about uh, consumers' thoughts around product or brand or advertising so they can use it to make better decisions. The big companies we service are making 100,000, if not million or more dollar business decisions every single day. And over 100 years ago, some smart people sat in a room and thought, we shouldn't make this decision on our own. Let's see what a bunch of consumers think. And M4 is just the next evolution of that. That's fantastic. I, I love the business model. It's very different than some of the, we'll say that the big platforms that are collecting mountains and mountains of data on us, maybe sort of with our permission, maybe a, a maybe. little less less than our permission. And, but what you've done is, is you've actually taken that and people are volunteering to share their data, but they're being uh, compensated for that. You've kind of democratized data. So I decide you know, what I share and with who. And, and I'm paid for that instead of it going to the big guys. Is that a pretty good summary? We trademarked the term fair trade data to communicate exactly what you're talking about. Uh, the platforms, Apple and Android, have helped expose some of the bad practices that other businesses were putting forth and trying to collect consumer data. And the, the saying that got popular is, if you're not paying for a product, then you are the product. Yes, <laughs> it's true. And people didn't know that. They didn't realize when I'm using this social site or logging in here or clicking yes to this long privacy policy with terms and conditions, that they may have been turning over that data. Instead of them for with our app, Surveys on the go, you sign up for it, you're going to get really clear disclosures about what we want to collect for you. You're going to get compensated in exchange for doing so. We're going to tell you what we're going to do with that data. We anonymize all the data. We ensure that consumers cannot be targeted directly with advertising or any other follow-up. Uh, it makes it a good experience for them. And we also make sure that we compensate consumers appropriately. Uh, it's it, Consumer data collection is facing challenges because many companies in this business are not prioritizing the consumer. Right. Them and their data, they are our product here at M4. And so we really value those consumers and understand if we're going to ask you to take 20 minutes of your time participating in a survey exercise, we need to pay you appropriately for that, not try to pay you 25 cents like some others in, in this industry are. Or if we're going to ask you to share your location data with us, you also deserve to be paid for that. Even though it's only a one-time opt-in, we continue to collect that and we continue to monetize that so that consumers should be compensated appropriately. They really become a partner in this business in some ways. Yeah, it's very, very different. And it's one of the things I love about the model. Sustainable too, right? As, as government now, let alone the platforms, but you've seen it in Europe with GDPR, in California with CCPA and now CRPA and yep. other states continuing to get more and more strict so that consumers get clear disclosures and more control. And we've always had that informed consent, fair trade exchange of data makes it a really sustainable business model for here uh, for us here at M4 as we've seen others have to get out of some parts of data collection because they weren't set up appropriately. Yeah, you've been there eight years. Company's been around 12 years. How have you seen consumer privacy and data regulation uh, change in the last you know, eight, eight years, 12 years? Uh, you could ask our CFO who handles a lot of our legal. He's definitely seen some different <laughs> different documentation that comes across his desk, but it's all good. And it's, it's all for the right thing. You know, luckily for us, we oftentimes complete some of these privacy disclosures and have the clients go, wow, that's easier than some of the other companies that we've tried to engage with because maybe their, their collection isn't so above board. And that's what uh, our clients are really asking about what businesses purchasing data, especially big brands who want to purchase data. They want to make sure that this data was sourced appropriately. Big brands don't want to get, personal information, contact information from consumers. Uh, they're not trying to learn more about you to know who you are to target you. They know that government makes that difficult for them and they know that it's not their purpose. And so you've seen legal teams at big brands get a lot more strict about that and making sure that the source for the data is appropriate. They know what they're ingesting into their walls and that that uh, they're going to use consumer data to their benefit to make a better decision, but the consumer is going to understand what it is and not be exposed nefariously in that process. And this is different than you know, me as a business owner saying, I want to go out and survey a thousand people and see what they think about something or, or try and do something on, on some big scale. Is the data available 
like I have a question, I want to go see, you know, see what people said about a certain topic and that's just available already or how does it work? Yeah, there's a little bit of that really you know, uh, taking a step back. There are two sides to our business. We've talked so far a lot about the data collection surveys on the go, right. collecting different types of consumer data. There is survey data we collect. We also collect behaviors from consumers. We get to see ah. their location movement. We get to see what they're doing on their phone if they opt in and then get compensated more for doing so. We call it omni-traffic data because you as a shopper and you as a consumer, you're not just going to stores anymore. That was 30 years ago. Now you're using your phone, you're doing research, you're using apps even to purchase things, let alone just to learn right. about what you can go purchase at a store. And M4 is very uniquely positioned because we're collecting both that location data and that app and web data. So you can really understand the omni-traffic experience of the consumer. And then you survey to understand why. When you see somebody mm. at one home improvement store, and then in that store, they're using an app for a big e-commerce company. And then 30 minutes later, they're <laughs> at another home improvement store. Right? You might want to ask them why. It's great yeah. to know they're doing that. And then M4 has the ability to follow up and provide that additional information um, so the data collection, there's a lot of value. And then I think uh, because you know our business, you were also asking about what we do with that data. And I know we'll spend time talking about our studio platform that's brought enterprise level, sophisticated research uh, and democratized it so that small to mid-sized businesses can find a cost effective way to learn more about consumers and really cut down on the time that it takes for that sophisticated market research, which historically has slowed businesses down. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because I do that myself and you know, I'll be in a place and, and looking at something and I absolutely will pull up my phone and, and look and see, is it is it cheaper somewhere else? What are the reviews? And you know, it, it may result in a purchase decision right then, maybe later, maybe never. But that's really interesting that you're tracking both of those. Do you ever get conflict between behavior data and survey data? Like, I, I, I don't... You know, I don't you go to McDonald's. Be surprised. <laughs> you might not be surprised. And we've run, you can see this at m4.com, our website. You might not be surprised that consumers who go to McDonald's more than 10 times in a month underreport when you ask them how often they go to McDonald's. And you know, that, sure. there's, there's a say-do gap. One of our clients explained our data that way, that we eliminate the say-do gap. You, you understand what they're doing, the who, what, where, when, and you use survey to understand the why behind that observed yeah. behavior. It's just, yeah. it's, and, and you, you bring that up to why that matters. It's because, like I said up front, clients are making million-dollar business decisions with this data. And that gap between say and do can lead to bad business decisions. And you can go and point back to the Kendall Jenner Pepsi ad or New Coke or how many products across time that maybe we're informed by survey data as part of that product development and, and should have been informed in other ways about the likelihood for success. And that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and it's not necessarily nefarious in, in what they're reporting. It, they may not know. It's just best guess. But I think that that happens a lot where what we, we do and what we think we do are probably not as aligned as we would like to believe. Yeah, we live in California. Uh, and there was an interest, when I say we, my colleagues here at M4, there was an interesting article published uh, in the local newspaper about how 60% of consumers reported considering leaving California but 60% of people aren't going to leave California. And, and that's mm. one of many examples of a difference between what people say and what they will actually do. Uh, how many sayings could we come up with? Money talks, right? There are so many other right. ways that you can think about this where people tell you a lot by what they do. That doesn't mean that survey isn't valuable, though. There's, of course, always going to be a, a purpose for profiling somebody and their psychographics and what they're thinking about or understanding why they exhibited the behavior that you saw that was interesting and um, just understanding that there's value to both sides of, of that type of data is why we started collecting both. We did run into a challenge, and it's why we started building this software platform. Behavior data is not as easy to work with as survey data. So I'm, sure, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure we're going to talk about that. I know you have some questions about our journey into SaaS, given the name of your podcast. And, sure. and the journey to SaaS started internally with that realization that, hey, we're collecting this awesome data now. How do we get that out to clients in a way that makes it easy for them to digest? 
And so how did you make that transition? So you're, you're collecting the data, you've got the, the idea that the platform, and then you want to take that next step and turn it into a SaaS. Was that really the, the genesis of Explore Studio? Yes, yes. M4 Studio uh, is a platform that democratizes access to data for any type of a business, um, especially for a small to mid-sized business that doesn't have the resources of a large enterprise. Our biggest brand clients have data scientists, analysts, many internally on their team who can take really large data sets, our, our behavior data sets. It's about two and a half billion rows of data that we collect every year on consumer wow. behaviors. Right? Yeah, you, you need special computers and special computer programs <laughs> normally to understand that. Yeah. Well, so, but, but Jeff, you and I want to use that data for our business. Of course. Of course. I don't know your background well enough, but I can tell you I don't know how to make good sense of two and a half billion rows of data. No. I do in no. M4 Studio. And, and that's why we built the platform was to make it so that any person, any business professional can log into a platform in the cloud that costs as little as 150 and as much as $500 a month. And then be able to very quickly and easily, if you can use Microsoft Excel, be able to analyze that two and a half billion rows of behavior data to make it valuable for you. Including, you asked earlier about this, a lot of -of out-of-the-box charts and graphs on data that we have collected, plus the ability for clients to create their own custom data with different tools in the platform. How are you using AI in the platform? Yeah, that's definitely a, a part of the value proposition to help faster and cheaper. Um, if, if you're a big business, you've got resources who know how to design surveys and know how to work with that data like we talked about. If you're not, what do you do to get access to consumer data like this that, that you can make valuable? And we're leveraging AI to be an assistant. We actually call the AI part of the platform Danny, which is a data access and navigation instruction. I like it. Danny is someone you can ask questions to. And that analyst on the platform will then come back and report a response to you. So previously, the process in research, if you wanted to conduct some type of study where you were studying consumer behavior in combination with their opinion, you'd go to a large market research firm. There would be a big scoping process, probably need to pay them hundreds of thousands of dollars and then wait two months, and you would get some answers back. And the answers would be quality, right? Because you're getting them, if you're using the right data source from one of the largest research firms in the world, many reputable firms, smart analysts there, it costs a lot of time. There's a lot of money involved. And if you're an SMB, you probably don't have that. And so with Studio, you can come on for that low license fee. You can use AI to help you generate your research study, telling them, here are my goals, and it can suggest the right questions in a survey exercise. Or if you're looking to analyze behavior data, just say what you're trying to find. I'm I'm looking to better understand the share of visit that I'm losing to my competitors. So can you tell me, after you visit this retailer, what percentage of those people went to my competitor's app and then went to my competitor's store and the AI will be able to come back and give you that type of an insight. It, it speeds up the time to market. It greatly decreases the cost and it democratizes data access for every type of business professional, not even just research professionals at SMBs. Anybody who knows how to use good judgment and ask the right questions of consumers. Wow. In rolling out the, the platform, what were some things that were surprises uh, you know, as you rolled it out to the, the market and started boarding new clients? Hmm. Surprises as we rolled it out to new clients. That's a good question. Um, no, actually, the, the, a good surprise for us was how quickly our enterprise clients also adopted the platform. You, you've heard me talk a lot about democratizing data, small to mid-sized right. businesses, Um, we historically, because we didn't have this AI and and this platform to engage, have worked with larger organizations. And a lot of them saw the sophistication of this platform as really valuable too. They want the same tools. They want the data at their fingertips. You know, um, uh, Kirti Singh, who's who's the head of insights at Procter & Gamble, very famously talks a lot about uh, eyes on the computer, hands on the keyboard, and, and they're the biggest consumer products company in the world. So uh, being able to provide that level of access to SMBs was our goal. 
enterprise is also like the sophistication and, and the speed to insight. What business doesn't want to have the same or better level of consumer data than what they were receiving before faster and less expensively? Right. I love the idea that it's accessible just with conversation because that puts it in the hands of people who can make decisions now instead of data scientists trying to, to pull reports or, or you know give somebody something that they want, maybe what they want later on. And it just it delays the, the cycle so much. Oh, that may be what you want. It used to be one of our biggest issues is we deliver a deck that took a while and then the client went, hey, and now I want all these edits. And maybe we didn't budget that into the project <laughs> cycle. And now, you know, right. not, you know, you've got internal challenges, but the client wants it tomorrow because their presentation is tomorrow and they need the updates. Right. right with, with Danny, uh, the access and navigation instructor AI tool that we have, you didn't get the right answer the first time. You just type in another question and 20 seconds later, you now have that next answer and, and you can keep going and going and there's no cost incurred to continue asking those questions. It's also just one of those things that makes you smile. Right? We offer free trials on our website. I encourage anybody to go check it out because it's cool. Right? This is It's neat. Um, I can think of other advancements. Maybe you remember the first time you opened a flip phone back in, what sure. was that? the late 1990s or the first yeah. time you had that iPhone and used an app and, and we all smiled and went, wow, this is that next thing. And Danny and our AI survey builder give, give that same kind of feeling as we talk to clients and demo this. A, a lot of our demonstrations now are happening on Zoom, uh, common for most businesses. And you can see the clients go like this and start really leaning in and wanting to see everything that's happening with Danny and AI Survey Builder because it's it's not only valuable, it's just neat. Yeah, yeah. What have been the, the challenges in growing the company? It sounds like you've had a, a lot of growth, hired people. Success stories are awesome. Where were the challenges in that? Oh, it's always easy when you're done or when the journey's <laughs> ended up. Right, together. right. This was great. And we talk about the platform and now we're in a very good spot. Uh, it's It's been a journey for sure for a number of reasons, right? We, we were a well-established business that was growing really well. So even just that initial jump to go a different direction was something that, that was bold and many leaders wouldn't do. But our CEO saw that some of the other parts of our industry, data collection, especially survey data collection, were being commoditized. And also weren't the future and didn't want to be left behind. So he got ahead and he took us on this journey, um, which has been exciting to be on. Going from a services to a software business, though, is a completely different model. You have to start thinking about customer success departments, whole different engineering team and structure, uh, what the client engagement handoff upsell opportunities are, how you transition them intelligently and, and in a way that cares for them and, and make sure that they're still a part of that process. Uh, we've had to go through a lot of those lumps and challenges, learning a lot, um, adding new skill sets to the team for sure. Uh, been, been a fun journey, but the road to the top is never straight, is it? <laughs> right. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, how is it having you know, partners that have worked together before leading the company? Has that been a, a real benefit, just having that history in multiple ventures together? Definitely. Yeah, there's there's that stability there. Um, very united. Uh, they'll probably love that I said this on a podcast. They're like mom and dad. Right? They, they <laughs> take care of us. They both know when to ratchet it up and when to get serious. And they also know that even sometimes when things are hard, they're going to let you have some fun. Uh, I'd love to, to hear some of their closed door conversations because they are like mom and dad. Um, they, they do a nice job shielding us from what they're thinking, but have really been solid together as partners, um, appreciative to them. They also both, and maybe it's because they've invested so much in themselves, invest in a lot of us. You go look at, at our company, our company structure, a lot of the leadership here, People have been giving a lot, given a lot of opportunity. Right? They're loyal to each other and they're loyal to us. If people come in, they work hard, they do well, they contribute. Chris and Jeff give everybody opportunity can continue advancing, and they've changed a lot of lives doing so. Uh, that's really, really good. How has a leadership team had to adjust and grow and expand their roles as the company has, has grown? Yeah, we're almost managing two businesses for some period of time there. 
uh, because we had a, a healthy business that was growing well. Many companies change their business model because they're having a problem. We changed it because we saw future opportunity to do more, but we weren't yeah. having a problem, which means it wasn't easy to, to prioritize software over the other business when the other business was doing so well. And so that's definitely been um, a, a challenge or something we've had to think about a lot and coordinate a, about a lot as a management team is making sure that that old side of the business was still taken care of. Those clients were still serviced and getting what they needed so that they would provide us what we needed to continue investing in that software side of the business and balancing focus, making sure that you were pushing forward enough on the software side because it's very easy to go, oh, let's prioritize the old business and what clients are requesting for or needing or where that opportunity is there because there were immediate dollars how do you make sure that you don't do too much of that and you continue pushing forward on the software side, but also don't over rotate to that where then you end up neglecting the customers who have helped you get there. And right. it's, it's a balance. Hopefully any of our customers listening feel like we did a good job with that. We've definitely tried to. And um, you know, that that likely is one of the reasons we've been able to be successful in making the transition is a focus on those customers not a focus on what's always best for us and only going to work for us. Yeah. That is definitely a, a bold move going from from services to to SaaS. You know, and how do you make the decision instead of, you know, really focusing and trying to build a faster horse, when do you make that, you know, disrupt a good business and decide we're going to build a car instead? Yep. Yep. Look just looking at at access. Uh, and there are even even the AI itself is an example of this. You can see a lot of the founders of the businesses that are involved in AI talking about how this levels the playing field. And that's what we were thinking about, too. How many other businesses cut out the middleman um, where that and leveling the playing field are kind of the two driving philosophies, uh, leveling the playing field, meaning. Why do only the biggest businesses with the biggest dollars get access to this kind of information that that seems like a yeah. never ending cycle there of they're going to always be able to remain that because they've gotten to such a competitive advantage unless you can level the playing field and make everybody have the same access to consumer data so that they can all try to make similar types of decisions and make it easier for more organizations uh, to be able to compete. You know, that's that's a big part of the decision that we made here. Yeah. Well, running a services business, the clients, you know, it's their requests that are really driving what you're doing. Transitioning over to SaaS, you have a roadmap now. So how are you managing the roadmap and, and where you see the vision going versus just inevitable client requests that come in? Some of them fit the roadmap. Some of them are, are not even anywhere on the map. Yeah. So how, do you, how do you balance that? And how does yeah. that change in culture? And even, even right from the beginning, how do you start? Because many businesses fail chasing what the clients say that they want. Right, right. When it either isn't really something they will pay for or they're the only client who wants that and it's not going to be scalable. Um, Steve Jobs didn't do a lot of research and ask consumers and then say, okay, they want the iPhone. He had the idea. And then through things like the App Store or other ways that he evolved along the way, started to incorporate more consumer ideas and consumer opportunity to, to shape it. And that's similar to the approach that we took was we really bet based on what we had seen and heard that this was going to be the right path for the future. We didn't have a lot of clients demanding the studio platform. We didn't go out and over research, even as a research company, this idea. We believed the idea was right. Other businesses had been thinking about the same thing, right? cut out the middleman, level the playing field. Uh, we just knew that this was going to be the right path forward. And also that, like I said, there were some other parts of the survey research industry that continued to be commoditized, not thinking about consumers the right way. And this being a path to us being able to, to continue to bring in enough money so we can compensate those consumers fairly who use our app. Yeah. 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 I was definitely one of those, you know, looking at, uh, uh, iPhone was that sort of made sense. Old pocket PC user, years and years ago, and then but then the iPad. Like, who in the world would want that? It's a giant phone. It can't fit in a pocket. And and today, that's what I use probably more than anything, is, is you know tablet. 
And there it's, it is. And now, thing. Apple, yeah. and now Apple has started using more consumer research uh, than they did in the beginning. And, and many companies do that. And, and that's definitely a part of our approach now is now that we have um, hundreds of clients who are using this studio platform, now incorporating their feedback, both what they say and what they do, similar to how we suggest that our clients do research, meaning yeah. being able to see sessions, watch usage of the platform, what are they leaning into, where do they seem like they're getting stuck, and then also being able to talk to clients, both users and prospective clients, and, and taking that feedback and using that to continue informing roadmap uh, so we are getting the right things out to that masses. You, you got to find that right balance of trusting your gut and knowing what's right, but then using consumer feedback to shape as opposed to make the whole decision. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. Just thinking about the, that journey and, and finding that balance. And I, sure I, I think one, one of the things that you guys do really well that is is missing in in so many other surveys is the why. So I mean you can you can collect the the data and you know check the boxes and you know like or dislike. And and that's kind of one level of data. And what I really like is you've taken that significantly deeper into the why, which I think is is maybe even more important than the the preference. The why and even even added some new applications of old methodologies uh, like testing advertising or other types of content is a very common type of market research. Company wants to put out a new product, uh, has a new brand that's launching, and they're going to use either digital, linear, so TV, some other type of an advertisement. And companies spend lots of time and money testing that to make sure they optimize the content so that when it gets in front of you and me, it's likely to convert and get us either thinking more about their brand or considering to purchase or actually converting and purchasing more from their brand. Advertising testing usually is done with a survey going, hey, here's an ad. Do you like it? What do you think about it? Do you know this brand more now? Would you buy this, this product? And right. there is value to that for sure. You can understand do people like A or B more and why and what are they going to do with that? Where should you put that ad? Uh, Social media advertising is usually bought per platform. How do you know which social site you should go and take that ad to? Where are you more likely to convert? And that's one of just so many different applications of adding behavior to survey that lets you learn more about the consumer and then do more with your decision making. Because not only do you get back that survey data from M4 when you run an ad test to understand which concept you should roll with, but now you can also understand, and people who like this concept are spending more time in these types of places. You learn more about who they are, which could not only inform some tweaking of the messaging, but more importantly, it can inform where you go put that. So you optimize your dollars. And a lot of advertising is spray and pray. Put it out here and let's optimize later. Well, that means there's money wasted and time wasted up front yeah. with that initial part of that process. And now you can be more likely to have that optimized right from the front with what you learn. So many other different applications when you're testing advertising effectiveness, you can be looking at behavior to prove attribution as opposed to just what somebody said about the ad. Did it actually <laughs> prompt them to take action? Well, we can yeah. survey somebody exposed to an ad, hear what they say, and then watch what they do and see, does it actually have an impact and change in behavior? Going back to that say-do gap right now, now you really prove if that ad was effective versus somebody saying that that advertisement was effective. You can be using uh, that survey plus behavior data for things like product placement or, or channel partnership prioritization. Um, and if you want to see some more applications, check out m4.com. <laughs> Outstanding. Well, how do you keep that culture of innovation and, and creativity, you know, you made the, the transition, the platform is out there, you're continuing to build and iterate. How do you keep innovation and creativity and, and you know, fresh ideas coming in? I heard a really great saying earlier this year that not everybody will chase a gold medal, but everybody will run from a bear. Right? You, if there's a problem... <laughs> There's a problem you're you're going to solve it, especially if it's a really urgent problem. But not everybody always strives for greatness, and that's my answer to your question. Because innovation could be something you chase. Uh, we are lucky that we have a CEO, especially where that's his skill set. Loves innovation, pushing the boundary. Does not like to be static and stagnant. He's going to chase the future uh, and wants to be a part of that future. But not even everybody at M4 
always intuitively shares that philosophy inside of them. And, sure. and so we surround ourselves with it right here. This clock uh, behind me is from a train station in Paris. It took 10 people to get it up on the stand it's on because it weighs wow. thousands of pounds. And when this thing was put into that train station in Paris, it was the height of technology. To be able to have all wow. of these gears, so just that little white part right there could tell you the time. All the rest of this was moving to keep it accurate to tell you time. And now if I want to know the time, I just click this right here. I look up in the corner right. of my computer and I have two very quick sources for time. And they're smaller. They're working more easily. This and many other things around our office. There's one of those old big brick cell phones sitting right next to me here. We have pictures of old patents around the office to remind you that what is innovation today is going to quickly become old tomorrow. And innovation right. isn't, isn't a one-time process. It's constant and ongoing. And it's something that, sure, many people look at as you need to chase, but actually you can run from it and know that you don't want to get caught by that bear. That's really good. What are the biggest mistakes you've seen companies make with regard to consumer data and making decisions? Not collecting it the right way. Uh, there's, there's a story. This is very public. Um, there's a story of two companies, uh, JumpShot and Hitwise, that had to cease operations within a week of some news coming out about their consumer data collection processes. Hmm. Um, you know, good. Go Google those articles and you'll see, unfortunately, for many of the employees who, who weren't intentionally doing the wrong thing, how they got caught up in that. But, you know, that's that's a thousand plus employees and well over a hundred million dollars in ARR that was wiped off the board in one week because those companies were found out to be not collecting data in a way that was good for consumers, protected their privacy and was above board. And that's that's the biggest mistake and it's kind of been baffling. If you're a company and you make money off of consumer data, why are you not valuing the consumers? I know the answer. It's because it's expensive. And that's sure. the challenge that, that, that I face in sales here as our CRO at M4 is uh, many times with our AI, we've, we've been able to swap this story. And that's why we're so excited about it. But before that, many times the quality that we brought in our data costs more money. But that's yeah. because we were collecting it the right way and treating the consumer the right way. And we were going to be around for you for the next decade to continue collecting that data that way instead of a, a risk that your business might shutter overnight. And so that's the biggest make mistake that I've seen is companies worrying about their profit, their margin, their clients saying, hey, I'll give you more if you drop my price. And them going, well, the only way I can do that is pay the consumer less or not pay the consumer at all. That just doesn't, that's not sustainable. That's a short-term win. That's not a long-term business model. And you've seen, unfortunately, many big companies in our space, either publicly or things that we just know about struggles behind closed doors, that's starting to catch up to businesses. And it's going to sure. be an interesting next five years in our space as things continue to shift that way. No, without a doubt. So what should companies be thinking about uh, today in making decisions um, you know, about survey data? You know, what are the, the things, best practices or things that they should be doing uh, as they're looking at survey data? They're using things like Danny to, to get their questions answered and then using it to make decisions. How can they make better decisions? Yeah, don't don't just use single data, right? Just like shopping and, and consumers have evolved. Right? You, you and I talked about this earlier, the way that we research, browse, shop has changed. Yeah. Shouldn't your way of understanding that and making decisions about that change? There are there are new and different and better ways uh, to understand that new and different and changing consumer all the time, right? So, so push yourself and challenge yourself to not just do status quo and do it that old way. The other thing that clients always need to think about, and um, right, we've we've again with this uh, studio platform been able to level this playing field. But a lot of times we see clients make decisions either to not conduct research or to conduct. Uh, less quality research, lower quality research, because they don't want to invest in the research and they're not thinking about the decision that's then going to be made off of that. If you're looking to make a million dollar decision, shouldn't you be okay if you need to spend an extra thousand dollars on research to get it done? Right. Uh, here, though, 
M4 Studio has allowed us to not have to ask that question anymore. And now to be able to say to clients, you can get that enterprise level research, you can have the better decision be made, and you can do it faster by using AI tools at a fraction of the cost because we've enabled this through a software platform instead of a managed services model. Well, what's the the future of M4? Are you going to expand into business data? Is there there B2B type of a solution on the horizon? Or what's next for you? Likely other countries. Right now we operate in ah. America. And and we've intentionally, you know, right, either either you go wide or you go deep usually. Uh, hard to do both at the same time, especially because yeah. we've been largely bootstrapped for our history. Um, so we decided to go deep and really perfect this business model, grow as much as we can, add new types of data collection, build this platform, both the platform for collection surveys on the go and the platform for analysis M4 Studio. Uh, now the opportunity is to take that to other countries across the world. And so you'll definitely see M4 doing that over the next few years. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, where can people learn more about you and about M4 online? Me? Nobody wants to know about me, Jeff, but you can <laughs> check, out, check out my LinkedIn. But M4.com is definitely the place to go. Um, the use cases section on our website is one we're definitely proud of. Very customer oriented, not here's what we do. Here's probably what you're trying to accomplish if you're coming to our site and how we help you do that. Uh, there's a jobs to be done framework that was created. I, f- I forget the person's name who came up with it. Uh, very smart individual. Simple concept, right? Think about the client's jobs to be done and then go solve for them. So instead of our website always talking about M4 data, M4 studio, you're going to see a lot of, are you trying to do this? Is this the business question you have? Is this your problem? Is this your opportunity? Then you click into that and you see how M4 can help you solve that in a different and a better way. So go to m4.com and and that use cases section should also really help you understand what we do from your perspective as a customer instead of our perspective as talking about why we're so great. I'm sure you met those people at a bar, Jeff, and they just start talking about themselves and you probably (laughs) don't want to talk about them. So we thought about that when we built this platform. No, that's really, really smart. Uh, Clayton Christensen, uh, The Innovator's Dilemma. Jobs to be done uh, is absolutely brilliant. I think that's a really interesting way to to lay that out. So it's more when when you, you know your potential, your prospects go to your website. It's about them. It's not about you. So it's kind of you know, meeting them where they are, entering that conversation that's going on in their head, and uh, showing why you're the the solution for it. They say usually the person who talks the most in a meeting thinks the meeting went the best, and it's a, a similar type of concept of. Mm. You don't want to walk up to the client and say for four minutes, hey, let me tell you everything about my company and why (laughs) we are so awesome. You want to go and tell them, hey, I I believe you have this problem because many in your industry do. Do you have this problem? Yeah. Here's how we can help you solve this problem. Right. And and so bringing them in from that perspective, because that's we believe and it's been shown with SEO and, and conversions on our site that. Clients aren't searching for omni-traffic data because they don't know what that is. We invented that. (laughs) They're searching for, how do I understand where consumers are going after my store or something along those lines, right? That they're bringing their problems, struggling sales, product sales are down, understanding challenges with a struggling product. How do I sell more of this? Why are my sales dipping? That's how they're thinking about it. They're sitting in those rooms with their problem. They're going to look for somebody who can help them understand why that problem is happening. Let's meet them in their mindset instead of meeting them in our mindset about our methodology for solving that. That's the next step is telling them why our approach for helping them with that challenge is different and better. And there are some things that we're doing to help clients answer new and different questions. A lot of what we're doing is answering similar questions in better ways that make you more accurate or help you more quickly make that decision so you get to market faster and can capitalize. But there's there's a lot of that going on here in addition to new opportunities. Yeah, I think that's a major advantage is just the, the speed of information to be able to make a decision now and, and get it 90% right, 95% right, instead of six months down the road, maybe getting it 98% right. Don't let the perfect get in the way of the good. As That's long right. as the good is as long as the good is very good, right, to your point. And <laughs> in six months from now, it's going to be different anyway. That's yep. That's <laughs> right. That's right. 
that, that ah. oh, and do we do we hear that from frustrated clients? That line, if you've ever bought market research, people are nodding their heads listening to this podcast right oh, now, yeah. going, Yeah, I did spend twenty, fifty, two hundred thousand dollars on that study. It did come back two months later. I didn't even really use it because everything had changed on my end. And so right. come on our platform consumer data that was collected yesterday is on there and you're querying it live with an AI analyst and right that that's fresh. And it also doesn't cost you any additional money once you've paid our several hundred dollar license fee. That's fantastic. We also don't make you commit for a year. So uh, there, there's a free trial, but even just paying for it for a month to see how you get usage out of it uh, as a business, 150 to $500 a month, depending on the access level, definitely reasonable. We haven't had any clients be challenged with that price. Outstanding. Well, we'll definitely have all the links in the, the show notes. Alex, really enjoyed our conversation today. Thanks for being on SAS Fuel. Do I get to ask you a question, Jeff? Of course. You've got sea creatures. Uh, I see a wheel back there. What's that yeah. link for you? <laughs> well, the best place, sasfuel.com. And, uh, and that, that uh, links out to other places or championleadership.com. So you can find out all about me, about the podcast, everything else. Either one of those would be great. Love that. Love the background and the conversation. Thanks again, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks again, Alex, for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom and insights. You know, in a world where consumers are often treated like products, M4 is doing it differently. They're doing it ethically. And have built a pretty darn awesome company, $40 in ARR so far and still growing. You can learn more about Alex and M4 at m4.com. It's M, the word F-O-U-R.com. And of course, we'll have links, highlights, resources, full show notes. Everything is available for you at sasfuel.com. And check us out on YouTube as well. Full video episodes. If you're seeing this right now, you're seeing it on YouTube. Subscribe or follow us there. Everyone who subscribes this week gets... Air guitar strings. Yep, you heard that right. Finally, the essential accessory for your air guitar that has been missing. Play like nobody's watching because they uh, can't see the strings anyway. Join us next Tuesday where our founder is a legend in the space, Rand Fishkin, the Wizard of Moz, founder and CEO of Spark Toro. We'll talk about his journey to 100 million plus wins, losses, and building super smart this time around. Super guy who shares the good, the bad, the ugly, and amazing. And I just, I love what he's building at Spark Toro as well. And then next week, a week from today on our SaaS Fuel Expert Series, we have Mike Porter, president at Print Mail Consultants. Mike and I will be talking about content marketing, how to engage the SMB market, and how to deliver content in surprisingly effective ways. So I will see you next time. And as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SaaS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sassfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes. Let's go!